I want to say how proud I am of these young men. Last week, Brother Ethan Parker just knocked it out of the park, and Brother Cam tonight, and I am excited at what God is doing in our youth group, and our young men, and our young ladies. Thrills my heart. They did such a good job. Next week, leave old Brother Connor is going to come with a word from the Lord. And we're excited. We can't put them on blast mode. So now you got all week to prepare, Brother Connor. And we're excited for that. Also, Brother Brandon, thank you for leading us in missions. God is doing great things through Wallace Ridge. I haven't yet shared this with Brother Brandon or my wife. And not that I'm holding anything, but it just it came into my mind this evening. Uh, just a couple of days ago, got up to the church here and and uh, I felt such a strong urgency to call Brother Jerry Dean. I talked to him periodically. He's a voice of my life, but I haven't talked to him in some time. And I called him and I said, Elder, I said, do you know any places that could use some missions funding? And he said, you got to be kidding me. Started laughing. He said, just about an hour ago, I got Two emails, projects that he's been closely tied to that they ran out of funding. And he was praying that God would send the funds for these places to complete their projects. And the Holy Ghost came in my office and we felt such a witness of the Spirit. So he sent me emails and pictures and I'm going to be coordinating with Brother Brandon. And, and I believe that Wallace Ridge is going to help some people finish projects so souls can be saved for the kingdom of God. I'm so excited for your missions giving. Thank you so much. And tonight we have a baptism at the end of service. Sister Annalise is going to be baptized. I, oh, there she is in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we're going to get to celebrate with her. And she just happened to bring a few friends with her. Tonight we're honored that you could join us in service. Amen. Now, Brother Cecil Carroll gave part one of this without knowing he was given part one of it in Sunday school. That's just the way the Holy Ghost works. And I told him, I said, you preach, teach, whatever God lays on your heart. And while God was talking to him, God was talking to me. We're going to begin reading with verse number 30. Also, just by way of reminder, Please join us after service. And then this weekend is Valentine's Day. Husbands, if you forgot, I'm giving you a heads up. Next Sunday is Valentine's Day. So we're going to give you, we're going to remove all excuses for why you can't take your spouse out to eat on the 13th. Is we're going to, not we, they are going to watch children ages 1 to 11 $20 for the first child, $15 each additional child, and uh, they're going to have a great time. So please help support these young people. Brother Jeremy and Sister Megan have been doing a tremendous job, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Amen. Verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his garment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, 
and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. I want to preach tonight, and please give me just a few moments to lay out a foundation so my title will make sense. When God becomes handicapped. When God becomes handicapped. Would you lift your hands one more time and let's ask the anointing and the help of the Lord. Father, this precious word is already anointed, but I stand today needing that precious touch, needing that manifestation of your spirit. Open the ears of the hearers that they could hear. God, their hearts that they would respond and move us tonight closer to you. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we pray this. Can we clap our hands one more time unto the Lord? Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. It is the desire of the Lord to seek and to save that which is lost. But the only way that God can save the lost and change the world is through humanity. I'm not saying God does not have the power to do what he pleases. But I'm saying that he has chosen to use people as the means whereby he saves a lost and a dying world. It wouldn't matter if I chose to think that God did not have the power to do so. In fact, it wouldn't matter if the whole world thought that he was powerless. It would have no bearing on who he is and what he can do. God would be God without the approval of mankind. God would be God if the whole world turned atheistic. It would not alter nor sway God's power or his ability. Although we understand that God is a spirit, Scripture tells us and shows us physical bodily attributes to describe various aspects of who he is. I submit to you 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. We can go to Isaiah 59 and 1 where it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. We can go to Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3 where it declares the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. 
Psalm 18 and 8 shows us that there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Devoured coals were kindled by it. So it likens various aspects and attributes of God to that of the physical body whereby we can further understand and comprehend how God works and who God is. And throughout the whole Old Testament, those attributes and aspects and characteristics of God, they were on full display. But the Bible says in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was with God and the word was God. That same word in verse 14 scripture tells us and the word was made flesh and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full in grace and truth. So that same God that filled all space and time in the Old Testament now housed himself in a physical manifestation through the form of Jesus Christ. And the same nostrils that blew in the Old Testament would now breathe in the New Testament. And the same feet that rested upon the clouds of the sky would now walk upon the terra firma that you and I would walk. And the same eyes that wandered to and fro throughout the whole earth would now gaze out of a manger looking out a young lady named Mary. The same body parts of the old said, I will embody a man and I will now have a being to work through. The same attributes in the old were now tangible in the new. The same feet in the old were now visible in the new. Perfection personified, if you please. For scripture says in him was no flaws, there was no guile in his mouth. He was blameless, he was spotless. And as a spotless lamb, he walked among imperfect people. Jesus Christ took those same hands that formed and fashioned that Adam and breathed in him the breath of life. And he said, now, I'll heal the sick. Now I'll speak with that same mouth and I'll raise the dead. I'll take that same, that five loaves and two fish and I'll take them and bless them and now they'll feed 5,000. Yet he was omnipresent but he was confined to one body. He was all-knowing but confined to one body. And as that body, he still needed sleep. He still needed to stop and eat. He was not limited in his power, but he was limited by his proximity because he was confined to one being. But it was part of the overall plan. It was part of what God was going to unfold because he understood what was going to happen. He said, I got to get out of here because if I don't come, then I can't send the comforter unto you. There's coming somebody. There's coming a being. There's coming a spirit. In fact, in Acts 1 and 8, he spoke to him and said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when you receive that power, you will be 
witnesses unto me. You see, no longer would God work through a body, but he would work through the body. He would not be confined to one being, but he would be in many beings. And he would use the body. He would use the church. He would use the redeemed to accomplish his mission on this earth. My friend, when that day of Pentecost happened, it was more than 120 people having a feel-good moment. But let me tell you what happened. The word was made flesh, and that word came in the hearts of men and when you make up your mind to serve the Lord and you repent of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Ghost you are born again that same word brother Spanky that was in Christ he said I'm going to take it off of tables of stone and I'm going to write my laws into your mind I'm going to engrave them into your heart. You're going to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation, a called out being. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So no longer would God work through a body confined to Jesus Christ. But he said, I'm going to work through the body. This is why 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He likens the body of Christ in the physical to the body of believers as the body of Christ and said that they're the same thing for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many no longer was God limited by proximity he was no longer confined to being at one spot in time. But he said, I'm going to put people in place that have my passion and have my spirit. And they will literally become my ears. They'll become my eyes. They'll become my mouth. They'll become my hands. They'll become my feet. Whereas at one point, Christ could only do so much as one being. Now, he said, I'll have many, 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 many people that can do the same thing. The Bible says that Christ is the head. He is the mind. He is the brain. And we are to respond to what the brain tells us to do. We are to respond to what the head tells us to do. You see, what happens in the physical should be happening in the spiritual. Your brain tells your feet to move. Your brain tells your mouth to open when food is coming. Your brain tells your hands to do things. And it happens so seamlessly you don't realize it's happening because your body is that in tune with the head. No wonder that Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He had the mind of God as a being, as a human being so he could move seamlessly as the body of Christ because he had the mind of Christ. 
And so what scripture says is if we're going to be the hands, if we're going to be the feet, the mouth, the ears, the eyes, or whatever part of the body, it has to do what the head wants it to do. It has to respond to the command of the head. And I began to pray. And as I was praying and pondering, it began to come into my spirit that an unlimited God can become limited. An all-powerful God can become powerless. Not by the absence of his power, but by the absence of an outlet for his power. You see, when the body won't do what the head is telling it to do, it leads to being handicapped. When I speak and I use that term, please don't think it's a derogatory because of the simplest form and term of handicap is when the body won't perform to its fullest potential. It's limited by some form or fashion. And some types of diseases make the body immobile even though the mind is perfectly fine. Nothing displays this more than the text that we read today, an all-too-familiar text in Luke chapter 10. A certain man fell among thieves, and they stripped him. They left him destitute and half dead. That's what the world will do to you. No doubt he was used up, and he was left by the world. And surely somebody would help him. Yet Christ, trying to make a point, said there came first a priest. Surely, surely the preacher is going to help him. Because after all, preachers and God are supposed to be tight. But that priest walked right on by. Then he said the Levite came by. That represents the laity. And that Levite walked right on by. But then there was a Samaritan. Now to further study it out, Jews hated Samaritans. They were enemies. They were not to commingle. They were not to mix with each other. And what God was saying is, there's the enemy, the person you would least expect, walked by, picked him up, put him on his beast, brought him to a hotel, put salve in his wounds, and said, I'll take care of the bill, whatever it is. And Jesus was saying, now you, you tell me, who was the neighbor to this person that was in need? And they said the one that showed him the mercy. Because being a neighbor or reaching people is not about who you are. It's about who you represent and the mercy and the kindness that you show people. And I began to think about this text. And we always talk about the Good Samaritan. But today in prayer, the Lord began to deal with me about this priest and about the laity, about the Levite. Because these are the ones that are supposed to represent the body of Christ. These are the ones that are supposed to be so in tune with the cause and the mission. The first to reach out. The first to have compassion the first to see the need, the first to hear the screams of people, yet somehow they handicapped God because they wouldn't do what God had purposed and called them to do. And how many times is the body of Christ and we're supposed to be the feet and we're supposed to be the hands and we're supposed to be the mouth and the ears. Is God trying to get us to see people all around us and see the needs all around us and yet we're not hearing and we're not 
touching and we're not seeing all of the people that are left destitute by the world and God's looking at them going I want to help you but I can't get my feet to walk your way I want to touch you but I can't get my hands right where you need because we're not doing what the head is trying to get the body to do we got to be so in tune. You see, we're the body of Christ. We've got to be so in tune with the head that the body does what the head tells it to do. I want to ask you tonight, church, how many people are you seeing lost? How many needs are you seeing out there? How many cries are you hearing? You are the ears of God. You are the eyes of God. How many people are you touching? Because you are the hands. And if we're not doing what the head says, then God becomes handicapped and he cannot work in this area. I tell you, I'm, not, I, I'm unloading my burden. I'm not throwing stones. I have no stones in my hands. I'm unloading the burden. But I've noticed this about the body of Christ. And not, not talking about this church. I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. I believe we've got an autoimmune disorder in the body of Christ. Simply put, autoimmune disorder is when the body starts attacking itself in some form or fashion. And I began to think, and I just kind of heard a gentle whisper of the Spirit. Lord kind of got me to thinking, how did they treat the body of Jesus after he was dead? You know, there were more than people that hated him there that day. There was Mary that was there, the mother of Jesus. There were followers of Christ. There was Joseph of Arimathea that wanted to put him in that tomb. Do you think when they took him off that cross, I'm not talking about the soldiers. I'm talking about the people that loved him. Do you think they just threw his body and his carcass on the ground, grabbed it by the ankles and dragged it to a tomb? That's not how they treated the body. Do you think they kicked him when he was down? No. I think they reverenced the body of Christ. I think they were so moved with love for that body when they took him down. There was mother, there was Mary that was wiping his head. That's what a mother does is wipe that hair out, clean his face. Maybe they touched his hands and they just reverenced that body. We're the body of Christ. How come there's such a, a problem at large with the body attacking itself? Forget trying to win people out there when we've got people in the body that are all they're doing is fighting each other. And the body is turning on itself. The body's trying to kill itself from the inside. We are the hands. We are the eyes. We are the ears. And I've stepped to this pulpit tonight. I'm waving the flag. I'm sounding the alarm. There's lost people out there. There's people that have needs. There's people that have problems. There's people that are going to hell. And God is looking at the body saying, I want to reach them. But the only way I can do it is through you. It's through the body. God 
This is what Jesus said. He said, I, I can get angels down here right now. What he was saying was this. The power of God is able. But the, there's some things that the body has to do that the power will not do. And God, if he, if he wanted to, he could, he could stir every person in this area and bring them through those doors like that in one second, and this building cannot hold any of them. He has that kind of power. But there's some things that the body has to do that the power can't do because the power has to work through the body. Has to work through the body. I want you tonight. I want you to think. I want, I, and maybe this is because God stirred my heart so much. We don't have a clear understanding of what hell is. And we don't have an understanding of how long hell is. But when you consider that the people you pass this week, if you don't reach them, if we don't reach them, they will spend eternity in outer darkness, falling, free-falling in outer darkness for all of time, all of eternity. And there will be so much fire that you cannot quench it and you cannot stop it, and you will not be burned up, but they will spend eternity in hell. Dying. Yet their soul will never die. They will wish that they could have a drip of water on their tongue to bring a reprieve. Yet there's a void between heaven and hell. When you look at people through the lens of hell, then you have to feel something for them. If you're here tonight and you're not right with God, then you need to keep in mind that hell is real. I know we want to preach on a God that loves people and God that will save everybody, but that's not in the book. Honey, God is a just judge and he don't send people to hell. You decide where you will spend eternity. God don't send anybody to hell or send anybody to heaven. He makes you make up your mind here where you want to go. And when you look at lost loved ones and you pass people all throughout this area, you've got to keep in mind, I am the hands. I am the feet. I am the mouth. And if we don't reach them, who will? If we don't reach them, are we waiting for them to just decide to walk through the doors? It's not going to happen. Very unlikely it's going to happen. But when you become the body that God wanted, when you're on your job and you feel impressed to pray and you feel impressed to move and do what the Lord said, you are doing what God, the mind, is telling you to do. We have drank the Kool-Aid of inspiration for so long that we have lost conviction in our hearts. We have lost the soberness of living for God and the reality that you've got one shot at this. And when that's over, destiny is decided. You've got to look at people. I've been in great churches. 
I've been in churches that had some of the best music and the best preaching and the most beautiful buildings. But what I did not see was I did not see any sinners. I did not see people that didn't look apostolic. And it burdens my heart as an evangelist when you bring a preacher in wanting a revival, but nobody will get anybody in the building. How can we save what's not there? And yet we worship with our music, and I love it. We run and we dance, and I love it. But you hear me, there is no substitute for children being born in an altar. There is no substitute for babies coming to God. We gotta have babies in the kingdom of God. Stand with me. While we play our songs, no music yet, please. Wear our nice clothes. People are on the fast track to eternity. In at least one German town, there was a railroad track that ran behind the church. There was an eyewitness who told this story. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt what could anyone do to stop it. And each Sunday morning, we would hear the train whistle blowing in the distance, then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we'd heard cries coming from the train as it passed by. And we realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. And we dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews on their way to death. And their screams tormented us. They said, we knew the time the train was coming. And when we heard the whistle blow, we began to sing hymns. And by the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years passed, and no one talks about it now. But I still hear that train whistle. And I'm afraid that as that train is passing by, we turn our music up louder and we sing louder, all the while trying to drown out the sound of people going down. hear me just because we sing doesn't mean it's stopping them from going to hell just because we sing and we worship doesn't exempt us from reaching people that are lost I would to God something would get a hold of you tonight and we take the limits off of God and we say God I'll go I'll do I'll talk I'll teach I'll do whatever you need me to do these altars tonight are open for whosoever will can you hear that whistle blowing can you hear the screams of people that are on their way to hell can you hear the cries of people
people that are saying, would you help me? Would you reach me? Would you touch me? Hallelujah. Now this place ought to be filled with cries of people. This place ought to be filled with people saying, God, use me. God, give me a burden like I've never had before. God, help me to reach people. God, stir my heart. I'm talking to home Bible study teachers that are in this place. I'm talking to people.